Good evening everyone. Let's go through a couple of questions today. Here's the first one. I have been told to respect every religion, but to stay true to one's own. You cannot pray to two gods together, especially one from another religion. But I do like the teachings of Guru Nanak Dev on non-duality and it has helped me tremendously. So does it make any difference if I chant Ram Ram or anyone else because all there is is one? Can you give me some insights? You see, the answer is contained in the question itself. All religions are indeed one. They have been just presented with different ideologies over time and become encrusted and dogmatic ideologies. But as Rameshri would say, the basis of every religion is the same. Thy will be done in the Bible, which means everything is God's will. The Muslims say, Inshallah, God willing. The Hindus say, All there is is consciousness, God, the source, and so on. So this is a personal choice, you see. Whatever appeals to one naturally, by all means one should pursue that, because it is not effort-based when it comes natural, when it comes effortlessly without too much doership invested in it, that means it is meant for one. So we have to keep these differences aside that, you know, people say that because it belongs to another religion, you cannot practice it. That is the way religion took shape over the centuries. Look at the wars that were fought right from the Crusades onwards in the name of religion. So, I would certainly suggest that if Guru Nanak Dev's teachings on non-duality have helped this person, by all means, do go ahead. It would be quite uh, sad if you were not to delve into them. Here's another question. What are the thoughts one should have while meditating? When I try to focus on my breath and recite a name, my head starts hurting. Is this a wrong way to meditate? Let's take the first part. What are the thoughts one should have while meditating? We cannot control the thoughts. It has not been anyone's experience. Nobody knows what the next thought is going to be. So this meditation is not about having specific thoughts while meditating. Meditation is about witnessing whatever thoughts arise during the meditation and not labeling them as good or bad. That is non-dual meditation. In this meditation, the focus as such, if one could call it, is on the essence of just being, consciousness, 
beingness, the I am. Throughout the day, we are focused outwardly to objects, events, emotions, and so on. In meditation, when we sit, we sit with the sense of presence that we already are, the conscious presence we already are. It is not about what thoughts one should have. In that sitting, what we find is thoughts may arise and we witness the thoughts arising, just like we witness the traffic on the road. Sometimes we may get involved in a thought and that converts to thinking in the duration of time. And suddenly you realize, my God, I was thinking about work or I was thinking about this or that. And again, you're back to witnessing the thoughts. Even that is allowed. So this is the meditation being referred to in Advaita. The second part of the question, when I try to focus on my breath and recite name, my head starts hurting. Recite name, I presume, is referring to Japa, Nam Japa. And the head would start hurting generally if there was a high degree of concentration by the thinking mind involved. That is my understanding of it. And so it should rather be not a forced reciting of the name, but the name must arise on its own effortlessly. Even if one is focusing on the breath, which is a very common technique for meditation because we don't focus on our breath in the waking state. So it is a wonderful technique. But if that involves too much effort and doership, that can create a strain. Therefore, the head can start hurting. So relaxing into it, not trying to force the outcome of a good meditation, letting the Nam Jap flow effortlessly if it is meant to flow that way. And I do feel that one would perhaps experience now less and less of this head starting to hurt. The third question is about a man who is deeply spiritually inclined, 40 years old. And his question is about his relationship. This man loves to meditate and he says very sweetly out of seven days he spends three days meditating and four days managing the couple's life. Now his wife, wife or girlfriend I don't know, uh, wants him to spend more time with her and so he says uh, he knows it is past life karma etc etc. And in this life, my duty is to spend time meditating and abiding in the source. But she does not understand my needs and she is focused on the mundane, a bigger house, children to have. So my question is, is it God's will what she is wanting and I should follow that? Or is it a signal for me to break up and do what I feel more in touch with? I don't want to engage in mundane aspects. It takes my mind away from peace. Sometimes I feel I am right to express my inner nature, but at 
other times I feel selfish because I cannot satisfy her will. Which is the best way to let the ego go away? This is actually the plight of many people who are in relationships. Is the relationship compromising the spiritual journey? That is a very important question to ask. Generally, I would say that before getting into a relationship, one should make one's commitment to the spiritual journey clear. That saves a lot of trouble. But it also happens that in spite of making the spiritual journey clear, then once the relationship is established, that goes out of the window and you get sucked into the mundane. So this is a very understandable conflict in the mind and the answer nobody else can give. If your commitment is to the spiritual path and you feel you are not able to balance both, then you have to take a decision. If the partner was also on a spiritual journey, albeit a different type, no matter what, then there is a balance because each has the mundane life to live together and each is pursuing their spiritual journey. In this case, it doesn't appear to be so. So it is an unsettling situation. Now, this teaching says, we all should do exactly that which we think and feel we should do, knowing that the results are never in our control. So the only advice as such one can give is this, do what you think and feel you should do. If it is really frustrating you, the mundane aspect of life and this relationship, the decision has to be yours. But don't let the guilt take the decision. You see, because the guilt means doership. I am doing something wrong. So that is not the correct approach. If your heart is in the relationship, and you feel and you ask yourself that should I compromise my spiritual practices, my sadhana in the interest of this relationship because I want the relationship to last and this is threatening my relationship, then do precisely that. Whatever decision is taken should be taken objectively and not with an aggravated sense of doership because that distorts the vision. Now, which is the best way to let the ego go away? This is a most beautiful question which this person has ended on. And the answer is, both could be the best way. The downside of pursuing this spiritual practice is one develops a spiritual ego. That is a common pitfall on the path. In fact, being in relationships is a gateway to 
a lot of spiritual growth and development because you can see aspects of the ego which were hidden thus far they come to the fore because after all the relationship is a mirror in which one sees oneself and i am not sure but ekhart tolle said something on the lines of you know one can get enlightened through the path of relationships so which is the best way to let the ego go away could be either it's for you to explore and for you to find out more importantly it's not the ego that goes away but the sense of doership in the ego that goes away <laughs>